Hello and welcome to The Fandamentalist, the fandom podcast investigating all aspects of geeky media. Sorry, did I hit my head and wake up in patriarchal bullshit land? Don't put me in charge! It certainly worries me to make self-defeating mistakes out of fear of appearing weak. You were right. We are from different worlds. That is a failing indeed, but I cannot laugh at it. Welcome to the I Disappoint Dad Club. The theme song you just heard is Good Riddance by R. Sonar, available on the Free Music Archive. My name is Kylie, and here with me are Gretchen. Hello. And Julia. Hey. Julia, do you, do you get offended that I call your name second both, every time? No, it means I'm the most important, like Gretel. Yes, Gretel is absolutely the most important Von Trapp. Uh, this- yeah, she's the only one who wrote a memoir. Okay, I was, like- I was thinking of the fairy tale. Oh, Hansel and Gretel? Yeah, I was like, that's a weird, that's a weird uh, correlation to make, but sure. <laughs> you know what's weird is this introduction. The three of us <laughs> write for thefandamentals.com. Exploring a fundamentally sound fandom analysis. Uh, pretty much in the title, we have a lot of analysis of geeky media, along with news and reviews, uh, reactions to trailer releases. Bo is really funny on those. I love how many he does. Mm-hmm. His, re- his reaction to the solo trailer was just perfect. Anyway, we have a very special episode for you today because we received news that uh, came out of the Star Wars fandom that Benioff and Weiss of Game of Thrones fame will be writing some Star Wars movies, and we love Game of Thrones and Benioff and Weiss. So when I was talking with my friend Leah about this, she actually said she made the joke that the reason this was happening is because Kathleen Kennedy listens to our series on uh, Game of Thrones versus the prequel trilogy (laughs) and was so disappointed that we were about to end that she decided that she wanted to give us more things to talk about. And so decided to just collapse them into Well, she, she's you, definitely Captain giving Kennedy. us stuff to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for keeping us going. It's for listeners like you, if, if you could retweet our podcast, that would be really good. Be like, awesome. really good. No, so our, our uh, episode's actually going to be a little bit tailored to that. For one, because just by coincidence, we're finishing up our prequels versus Game of Thrones series this week. It's our last episode. So that's our middle fun segment. Our second segment of the day, it's going to be um, like, what if Benioff and Weiss, what is Benioff and Weiss Star Wars actually going to look like? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not going to quite be, you know, Benioff and Weiss adapt like I've done for Harry Potter and Legend of Korra and stuff, because that's that's its own thing. I'm sure we're going to have more coming out about that with regards to Star Wars specifically, <laughs> but more just some thought experiments. Uh, however, we're our first segment is first going to tackle like, it, I'm we're basically calling it cool intentions because it sort of rhymes with cruel intentions and that's, that's cool. But uh, just conversation about content creator intentions, not lining up with the result, but is there a space for intentions mattering and what do those conversations look like? So packed episode, we're excited to be here, but first we need to jump into some fandom muse. Hooray. And as the a football, Philadelphian. I mean, yeah, the football fandom was excited on food. <laughs> yeah. I just like Trevor Noah. I was like talking about how the police were helpless because they were white. <laughs> it's just too on the nose. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I'm glad that conversation came up a lot because yeah, yeah. So the, the Eagles won the Super Bowl in very dramatic fashion. Um, the Super Bowl is some kind of sporting event, right? Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> I'm. Dramatic I've been guy. living in Philly uh, my whole life, so this was like my team winning. I guess I've always been more into baseball and tennis. To be perfect, those are honest. both sports, right? <laughs> oh my god, dude! <laughs> I think they have tennis in Canada. Yeah. I don't I know think, if it's okay. not like Olympic weightlifting. I don't care about it. <laughs> I just love that you just said, I think they have tennis in Canada. Like, <laughs> well, she was like, if yeah, it's an exotic sport. sport. Right. Like, the, what? Baseball's not even exotic. Anyway. Um, the, one, the one major sport we had never won the championship series of was the NFL in Philadelphia. So this was the first Super Bowl victory, which like sounds impressive. But then you learn that it's only been going on for like 50 something years. And you're like, oh, OK, well, that's, you know, sometimes it happens. But Philly loses a lot. We had droughts for a while. We had the Billy Penn curse, all that kind of stuff. So the Eagles are the biggest team around here. And uh, it was... <laughs> Like it was a really goddamn excited game, uh, so it was it was a good way to win. It was very Rocky esque with the underdog thing and the David and Goliath kind of idea, which is really not the case. We had a pretty talented team, but whatever, it's fine. And then then a bunch of people rioted. Okay. After I mean, we won. what other logical reaction is there when you win something but to have a riot? I have never been more glad to live in the suburbs, but like to give you an idea, they lit part of Temple University on fire, as you do. Mm-hmm. Um, they jumped up onto the awning of the Ritz and oh, it came that was down, and then they oh. tore bits of the collapsed awning and ran around with it. The Ooh. poles had been greased with Crisco for the champ for the uh, NFC for the the national uh, champions series. What? But- what? I'm sorry, explain to me greasing Crisco. What? So they you 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 grease up poles so that people don't climb them and then hurt themselves. Yeah. So basically, the, when, the won, the mm-hmm. yeah. when the Phillies won, when the Phillies won, we rioted then too, uh, and people climbed the poles and were like swinging off of them. So for the game before the Super Bowl, they greased it up with Crisco, but then everyone was still able to climb it. So then they brought out hydraulic fluid oh to grease gosh. up the poles because it's waterproof and supposed to be more slippery and people still climbed up of it. And then not only were they climbing off poles, but they decided that they were going to fly like Eagles off of them. So like, why, I'm sure why are people so like, <laughs> I don't ridiculous. know. Yeah. Um, there, someone stole a police horse and rode it around for a little bit, which is better than when they punched the police horse two games ago. First of all, is the police horse okay? Yes, as far as we know. Horses are scary and big. Don't punch them. Okay. Also, um, they ate. uh, There was footage of fans eating horse shit. Like, I don't. (laughs) Can we move on to something more disgusting? Anyway, so then, then rightfully so, people were like, "Why aren't the police doing anything?" Oh yeah, because these are like white people flipping cars. And yeah, 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 like this is a riot. Like it was a riot. Like a legit riot. Like, yeah, that's what it know. is. Yep. Yeah, so I'm declaring the Eagles fandom the worst fandom, and I say that being part of it, I guess. Worse than the Steven Universe fandom. Oh my god, I would rather riot with the Steven Universe fandom, I think. <laughs> yeah. I wonder why the Steven Universe fandom would take to the streets. I can think of many reasons. You're cool if you root for a sports team, but if you get really into a show, you're you're not cool. It's like, okay. 
Which is funny because, yeah, like, football, as if football isn't a television show for most people who are not going to games. it's They're literally watching a television show. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I have a lot to say about the Eagles. Because I do. And sports fandom. But let's talk more about Star Wars first. Oh, my God. Okay, we're not confession. not going to talk about that enough this episode. Confession. You know what I haven't done? What? I haven't seen the solo trailer. I I saw the com- the one that was on the commercial during the Super Bowl. But I had I, so I don't think I've seen the actual full trailer. It's a heist movie? It's a heist. It's a train heist. It actually like I am so skeptical about this movie. For the, for it no, to go. this is this is the only direction you can do. <laughs> right. I'm sorry, what did you say, Julia? I missed it. Like the Firefly episode where they robbed the train. Oh, yeah. Maybe. But then they give it back because of their like morals. Well, this is just like that, except uh, Deadpan is there with very modern bangs, so... I don't understand her bangs. Like, I have so many questions I'm about so those bangs. so distracted. How, I know, how do every- you... Like, she has a nice, like, neat, like, straight fringe of bangs in one of the shots. The one that makes her look like she's, like, from, like, the modern... Like, that she's from, you know, modern times and not, like, space. Um, but then in other couple shots, she have she has these like thick side swooped bangs. I'm like, how? But by- there's one shot where I think she has no bangs. I don't. Maybe there's time do, jumps. How do her bangs work? <laughs> I, I, I'm so distracted by her bangs. Nothing says space adventure like bangs in a ponytail. So, right. has seen this trailer um, made either of you consider reconsider the position that this movie is going to be an extremely entertaining hot mess? Yes, I think it's going to be extremely mediocre. Yeah, I think it's going to be like average, entertaining. Yeah. I'm very, I'm very excited about Donald Glover's Lando, though. Like, yeah, he has everything I want from this movie. I feel like we're going to watch it and be like, "Wow, Lando was way more the interesting character to explore." Right? Because <laughs> like Han has his character arc in the original trilogy, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So he can't really grow too much. They could have picked, like, a teenage Han Solo, and that would have been something, but they picked just, like, young asshole smuggler works with team. Yeah. <laughs> what a weird direction. My favorite my favorite tweet about this, though, is that someone, there's a, a picture of Amelia Clark and Han Solo drinking out of uh, space wine glasses. And oh, that it literally like just- tin cans. It looked like someone just like stuck a pencil cup onto the bottom of a wine <laughs> of a wine glass, and they're like, "Look, it's space wine." Right, right. What I do it think is so funny bad. is that there are people who are like, "Han Solo doesn't drink wine." I'm like, "But he does, though." It's literally it's literally established in canon that he drinks Corellian wine like multiple also, times. He drinks <laughs> wine. Also, what kind of a complaint is this? Did they like want to reserve him as like a craft beer drinker? Like, no, these are people who are like, he drinks scotch. <laughs> or like scotch from space you can drink more than one thing right like every now and again i like i like scotch i like whiskey i also really like wine like, like when we hung out we had wine uh-huh. and then we got margaritas right it was just Those, which was a bad decision yeah. <laughs> there's this one person who said it like i got like the tone of it was kind of like han drinking wine is emasculating and i was like Oh, how Who charming. Who cares what kind of alcohol he drinks? Like, I don't. <laughs> Whatever. But also, he canonically, he does drink manly. Wine. He won't Speaking drink Speaking of here. manly, Michael Bay. Whew. Apparently, he's being eyed for the Lobo movie. I didn't. Who's I don't Lobo? think I realized there was a Lobo movie. 
I didn't realize there was a Lobo. Who is he? He's like <laughs> a motorcycle drive. Like he's kind of a like a maverick character in the DC universe. Okay. I like a while. I don't know. I, I remember Michael, him from the let, let Superman Bay animated. Maverick it up. Yeah, I remember yeah. him from the Superman Superman animated TV show. Um, oh, he was just kind of like he he rode around in, on a Harley and wore a leather jacket and was like anti-authoritarian and kind of did whatever he wanted and was like sarcastic and oh, fuck's sake. whatever. Like he was kind of a fun character, but I guess Michael Bay might not do it right. Well, as a director, I mean, I don't know. He's, he's all about spectacle. Like he's not, he's not a good guy from the story. I mean, will there like, be any helicopters in sunsets? Is yeah. I mean, I don't really have strong feelings on Michael Bay. I haven't watched a Michael Bay movie in like 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, me either. He was an EP on Black Sails, believe it yeah. or not. Oh, I had That's no idea. Yeah. Um, jumping back to Disney for a sec. Uh, also, by the way, there's the D&D movies. There's multiple Star Wars TV series. Just, just a lot of Star Wars. But uh, Disney also announced its streaming service. And this is the thing that, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's going to rival Netflix. And it's going to take those shows off Netflix. Well, maybe not, because they actually are not going to have any R-rated material on the streaming service. But will the will the Disney content still be on Netflix? That's the question. I would imagine so, but I mean, I maybe. I mean, is this is this seen as like something from for, for just for families or? I would imagine that a Disney streaming service would probably be family oriented if they're not yeah. doing anything R rated. It would be very specifically like. Hey, this is a streaming service you can buy into, and you don't have your kids can watch anything on here. Yeah. Yay. If I had, I would guess that like Clone Wars and Rebels would probably be moved off right. of Netflix onto this. If I had to guess, right. yeah. and Gordon yeah, would be upset. Yeah. Um. Oh, we have more news on Charmed. I know we talked about yes. Charmed. I think last time. Um, Please. But we have more news. <laughs> They're three sisters, and they apparently now all their names start with the letter M instead of the letter P. Like they did in the original. Um, sure. Well, it was a thing. It was Prue and Piper and Phoebe, and then they had a sister Paige. Yeah, and, but there's not this, the same phoneme. Right, but Bullshit. now they all start with the letter M, and apparently the middle sister is Mel, and she's going to be a lesbian who has a detective girlfriend, and I have mixed feelings about Mel. Why do you have mixed feelings about Mel? Uh, I read that character bio, and it's basically like, she's a lesbian, and she's an angry feminist, and also she has poor self-care. I was like... Oh, dear. I... <laughs> like... The one Mel I have known in my life was maybe the straightest person I've ever met in my life, too. It's so. just, like, such a stereotype, though. Like, I don't, re- I don't remember all the names, but, like, the oldest sister is, like, a scientist... And, you know, like, I'm like, why can't the lesbian be the scientist? Like, why does she have to be, like, the angry feminist who, because of her trauma, has poor self-care and, like, gets angry at her girlfriend? Like, that's such a huge stare. Why? Why? Why can't she be, I can't tell you how many Tinder dates I've been on that sounds like that, though. (laughs) No, but, like, that's what's annoying to me, is that she sounds like a lesbian stereotype. And I'm like, come on, you could, I mean... You could do literally anything. Right. Let her be the detective. Why isn't she the detective? Right. Um, but apparently the one good thing, well, not the one good thing, but one good thing about this is they are doing open <laughs> ethnicity casting, which is... That's pretty awesome. Yeah. It, and if they end up with three white girls, I'm going to be angry, though. Well, they're sisters, so... 
Right. But they don't have any biological sisters. Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah. Um, while we're talking about uh, Charmed, let's also talk about our dark Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Oh, I'm Being played by the chick who played Sally Draper. Oh. Kiernan Shipka. Yeah, and if you actually, like, think about it and look at her, she's kind of a dead ringer for Melissa Joan Hart. Like, if you had to cast someone to play, right. you know. Yeah. Like. She's it's kind choice. of exactly she the can same act. Like, that kid can act. She's not a kid anymore. But right. she can act. She can, she can act. act. Yeah. So that's that's news, I guess. You, I don't know how into this people are, but that, that's a No, thing. it's definitely, like, I don't think I'll watch the show anyway, but, like, if I were looking for reasons to watch the show, that would be one of them. Here's something I'm into. There is going to be a live-action Kim Possible. Make it gay. Is Make that possible? It gay. Oh my god, the Kiko fandom like needs this. <laughs> right. Like I'm I'm firmly on the boat what like with this show to be like make it gay or don't make it at all. Like you just kinda yeah. have to. Like they're you just <laughs> No offense to Ron Stoppable, but you cannot watch Kim Possible and be like, that's straight. Right. No. It's like, the tension, and I understand that people are not super into the, like, they hate each other and try to kill each other and they're in love thing as much, but if that's the dynamic, you can't make it any other way. Yeah, make it right. gay or don't make it. I agree. Like, that is not my favorite dynamic, but I look at Kim Possible and I'm like, oh yeah, of course. Of course. But like, I don't, I don't even go here. Like, I don't even go to that. That's not my favorite, like, <laughs> OTP pairing. Just go here. Like, it's not. I watched Kim Possible when I was younger, but, like, that's not even my favorite kind of, like, I don't really do hero villain ships very much, or, like, they hate each other. It must mean they want to fuck. Like, that's not really my preferred well, dynamic. Yeah. It's more complicated than that, Gretchen. But... There's an evolution. It's a lot more nuanced than that. Okay, but what I'm trying to say is, that's not my favorite, but even, like, this is one situation where I'm like, well, yeah, of course. They, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's how I feel about Kirk and Spock. Uh, like, yeah. it's just there. Yep, it, just I mean, there. they are. It's like, not about my opinion, it's just there. Yeah. All right, so we have to finish up this news pretty fast. <laughs> uh, there's a Roswell reboot on CW. All I know about Roswell is it was a high school sci-fi show. Uh, oh, I don't man, know that was else. a guilty pleasure of mine. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Are you excited for a reboot on the CW? Depends on what happens with it. I mean, it's perfect for the CW. It honestly is. It's so melodramatic. That's great. I love it. Yeah. Um, and then finally, the last bit of news is the Leftovers showrunner, David Damon Lindelof, you also might know him from Lost, has apparently tapped Nicole Castle to help him pilot his high-profile follow-up drama project at HBO, Watchmen, which is based on the comics, I'm guessing. Oh. Um, and I hate Lost, so therefore I will never forgive him. And no, but The Leftovers is really I've only seen time. the first season of The Leftovers, but it's very good. No, I know. And Bo and Katie love it. Right. So we will we'll give Damon Lindelof a shot. However, he also said Battle of the Bastards was the best episode of TV that's ever existed. So... Mm. And that segues nicely because Game of Thrones segues into everything. <laughs> With our first segment. It's like the one thing it's good at. Our one segment talking about creator intentions. But you can't walk out. Why not? Because if you don't help, I'll tell the world that you used to be a good guy. You wouldn't. So, some of you may not realize, Kylie and I just, we recently wrote a piece for the site a couple weeks ago about reader response criticism. And 
So kind of as a follow-up to that, we were talking today about wanting to kind of circle back around to say, like, if with all of the talk about, you know, readers' reactions and, and, and making sure that creators are aware of how people are responding to their work, whether it's positive or negative, is there still a space to talk about intentionality, um, the author's intention, and especially, like, positive authorial intention? Like, if they mean well... Mm but maybe they don't execute it appropriately or there are unintended implications. Like what do we do in that scenario? Right. Like there's an attempt, but there's problems. Right. But there's, there's also like, (laughs) there's different intents and different levels of like effort too, you know? Right. Different levels of fucking up. (laughs) And basically like what spirit, like totally perfectly honest, what spearheaded this whole thing with us talking about it is we're still, kind of talking about the criticism with The Last Jedi. And it's not to dismiss any complaints, but when you read the interviews and you learn what a collaborative process writing The Last Jedi was, you know, I don't think it ever once would have entered Ryan Johnson's mind to be like, these racial dynamics between Poe and um, Holdo, like I need to watch out for this because it's mm-hmm. there's the stereotype of Latino men being hot blooded. This is a white woman putting him in his place. Like I don't, I don't think that registered for him. Right, is what I'm guessing, and that's why you do your homework. Right, right, right. But but like at sometimes, see the question is, I think that when you when even when you say do your homework, in order to do your homework, you have to know what you're looking for. So like you yeah. sometimes like, and this is a situation where like. It honestly was, I don't even think he could have done his homework to figure this out. I think someone external would have had to point it out to him. And Well, that's why you have external people. Like- right. That's why, like that, and that's, you know, and that's the thing. What, what gets me is sometimes even in a group of people, sometimes mm-hmm. even in a diverse group of people, things like this might not register. Because the thing is, like every, every person's experience is going to be different. So you can have, you know, a random diverse sampling of people who all looked at this dynamic and said, that seems fine to me. Like, I don't see anything wrong with that. Mm-hmm. And and it's not because, you know, any of them are malicious or even any of them are, you know, or that any of them don't care. It's that, like, not everyone is going to notice the same things. Right. And they fully don't appreciate how scripting a character of a certain background would interact with everything in the same way if they're scripting a character of their own like background they'd get it more you know right it's it's like i can probably write towards being a bisexual jew authentically because i live it or at least get the pushback around it but yeah i'm not going to have the cultural understanding to know like what tropes have what connection, what imagery has what connection. Right. Because to me, like if you took the Poe and Haldo situation and if you change the racial dynamic in any way, the problem goes away. Like if you, if if Poe were not, if Poe were white, it wouldn't be a problem. If Haldo were non-white, it wouldn't be a problem. Like you could write the exact same scene. And if Haldo were a black woman or an Asian woman, or basically if she were anything other than a white woman, suddenly the implication goes away. At least to my mind, like that's what I understand from the people that I've interacted with on this is that it has everything to do with him being a Latinx man and her being a white woman. And if either or both of those were changed, this dynamic wouldn't have like, wouldn't exist. It wouldn't have the same meaning. 
And should you consider the fact that, like, it's not a dynamic that exists Watsonianly? Is that something to even consider? What, like, how in Star Wars there's no race, basically? Well, there's definitely not those two races. <laughs> no. That, that, oh, Star Wars is difficult because yeah. representation in Star Wars is literally just this character exists. You know, right. there's yeah. no... You, you can't really explore, you know, Finn's journey as a black man because, like, th- that that dynamic doesn't exist in Star Wars. And you can mm-hmm. tell it through Proxen. You can tell it well. And that doesn't yeah, mean that if you're writing... journey is a Corellian. Right. Like, like, that doesn't mean if you're writing for John Boyega that <laughs> yeah. you can be lazy and be like, oh, that, well, yeah. I mean, there's that's no kind race. Of right. The thing. Right. <laughs> but I, uh, I do agree that that adds an extra layer of challenge. So I guess, you know, where Gretchen and I were coming from, we we're saying... And maybe this is just our kinder projections onto the film, but we do see this, and we've talked about this a lot um, on our podcast. We see The Last Jedi as a rebuke of white male entitlement, specifically white male entitlement. And is that, like, is that intention, is that effort completely negated, you know, by these results that are really hurtful? Is there a room to recognize that intention? while still being hurt. Like, can we just have both things sit in contention? And when they do sit in contention, what do we do with it? Well, I don't think that the right thing to do is to completely vilify the entire piece. Right. And I also don't, I don't, I don't think that something with problematic aspects, even deeply problematic aspects is intrinsically completely worthless. Right. Right, and I there there is only one media I feel that way about. Um, <laughs> I don't even feel that way about Game of Thrones. I know I'm being. I think yeah. that we have. My instinct is to say we have to have a balance. Like you have to mm-hmm. be willing to say like this is hurtful and they didn't mean it, and both of those things exist at the same time. Yeah, and both of those things can exist at the same. But how time. much credit should they get for not meaning it? Well, I think like, it, I think it depends this, on what doing this kind of shit by right. accident is also like. You know, I just think it depends on what people indicative. mean by credit. Like they don't yeah. cancel each other out. Like them not meaning it doesn't mean it wasn't hurtful. But also, it being hurtful, in my opinion, doesn't mean that we can ignore the fact that they didn't mean it. Like I think, I think if they didn't mean it, then there's at least a sort of good faith element where you can feel like there's a room for open engagement. Right. And there are some content creators who make it very clear they're not open to any engagement. Right. Um. Like the hundred, the backlash from that, it did not seem like Jason Rothenberg was uh, particularly open to no. constructive criticism. No, I mean he he just like disappeared from social media because he didn't want to deal with it for a while. Uh-huh. And you can compare that to someone like um, Javier Grillo Marchot, who is also one of the writers on the hundred. This is my go-to example for people: is you have two creatives on the same project. You have you know the showrunner Jason Rothenberg, and you have one of the writers. The showrunner just, like, disappeared and refused to talk to people for a while. I mean, he did come back, gave a very obviously, like, forced apology, and then refused to say anything about it ever again, other than just, like, reiterate, like, this was my creative decision. Fuck you if you don't like it. Basically. Javier Grillo Marchot, like, sat and, like, he basically allowed himself to get dumped on by fans for a couple of months, several months, of just people who were angry. And, like... And he would say, like, I didn't mean it, but I'm willing to listen to you. And I understand where mm-hmm. you're coming from. And while that sounds very hurtful, tell me more about that. Let me Help me understand where you're coming from and how you feel. Two years later, one of those men has been embraced by the fans. <laughs> and it ain't Jason <laughs> Rothenberg. But, like, that, 
that speaks to like the audio, the creator side of things. I do think there needs to be more space for hurt fans to be willing to like think about, you know, just cause it like that intentions can shape how I react to things. Um, like yep. I, I'll, I mean, I'll give an example from the last Jedi. Um, because I think it, it helps if it's on the same, you know, project. Um, <laughs> many people might not know this, but Amelyn Haldo is canonically non straight. Um, from the books. We know from yeah. the Leia YA novel that she's, I mean, the equivalent of pansexual. Um, so if someone, someone could conceivably, having read that book, watch The Last Jedi and go, oh, it's just another dead queer lady. Like, it's just another yep. dead queer woman. That's true. Um, it is. And that, like, <laughs> well, and that. Technically, yeah, like, yeah, strictly speaking. Like, strictly speaking, yeah, she is another dead queer woman. Um, mm-hmm. That was not my reaction. Like, yeah. I think that's an understandable reaction in that situation. When I watched it, I said, wow, that's really unfortunate that she died. But, like, she also got the most badass, meaningful, like, like death in the whole movie. And she was the one who, like, made the <laughs> ultimate sacrifice to, like, literally save everyone. And the fact that she was a queer woman doing it made that more meaningful to me rather than upset me. Because I know, because I know that their intention was to say we want someone who is diverse to have a powerful, meaningful death. And so even if, like, mm-hmm. some part of him was, like, maybe not hurt, but, like, upset that, like, another queer woman had died, like, I also know that they didn't mean it. So, like, I'm not saying everyone has to react that way, but, like, that's a potential way to react when you know someone's intention is, like, okay, that hurts, mm-hmm. that's upsetting. I know they didn't mean it. I'm allowed to be hurt, and maybe I should think about what they were trying to say and communicate to me. And what, what they were trying to do with that. And find meaning there, even though it doesn't negate my hurt. Yeah, like, um, the example I'll give is shockingly Legend of Korra. It's, uh, <laughs> it's the comics. It's it's the Turf Wars comics by uh, Mike uh, DiMartino. He, uh, Brian Konieska wasn't even credited as, like, anything but thanks for your help, buddy, <laughs> like, for part two. So I don't think he's very involved. But the comics introduced homophobia into the Avatar universe in a way that was, like, viscerally upsetting to me as a Jew reading it. Because it showed gay people being rounded up and going to, like, the gulags, basically. Uh, it was, like, SS officers grabbing people from the Fire Nation. Something in a SS way that, that people did. But. Yeah, yeah. It was, like, it, it, was, it was a, um, the imagery was shit. The mm-hmm. implications were, like, okay, well, when did this end? Like, did Zuko end this? Did Ozai end this? Are people still being grabbed? Ozai is a great ally. Yeah, feminist reformer Ozai. That's where that came from. And I found Turf Wars like frustrating and kind of offensive in the first part. And it's it's not made a whole lot better by in the second part. They're like, yeah, that was irrelevant. We're just not going to talk about it. It's like, why did you do this? And, and I don't want to go back and watch the series and think like, oh, Kaya's dark memory about like, I don't have a family. You can't tie me down. That's probably her panicking that someone's recognizing her as, you know, queer and she's going to like get hurt from it. Like, I don't want to look at the avatar universe right that like that, but I know what Mike was trying to do was just, you know, give young LGBT kids like something to look for, something to look to being like, Oh, you know, my heroes that, you know, they, they deal with this too. And, and things are better now. And this is, this is powerful. Like it's a, it's a, 
positive message. I know it's a net good. I definitely go a little far when I nitpick it. But my reaction to it, it's just kind of like, this is a little bit like disappointing. This is kind of not what I would want to read, but okay. So I would say I'm pretty offended by it. I'm pretty disengaged by it. But at the same time, I can also recognize that it's not like hurting anyone, really, except me and a few others. But I, I mean, in a cosmic sense, it's it's more of a good in the world than not a good. Like, right. it's, you know, and it's a kid's comic. Would you say that understanding their intentions affects how you think about, maybe not necessarily your frustration about it, but about the media, like that piece of media? Oh, 100%. Because the thing with, with Brian and Mike is like, they got so excited by Korosami that they were, oh, we need, we want to explore more. Like, mm-hmm. we didn't have to be constrained this whole time. So they they obviously were trying to do right by this. I don't think they, like, I don't think Mike did a ton of homework on this. Right. That's just what it feels like. So t- it feels like a straight man's very good attempt, but Yeah, wow. I mean, like, this whole thing, like, happened so fast. Like, when they were finishing yeah, Legend of Korra, the fact that they even had queer characters on screen was a huge deal. Mm-hmm. And now they're, like, oh, writing yeah. this, like, you know, mainstream comic about, like, these two bisexual women. And, like, just... They're just... I don't think they're, like... They were just in the headspace where just, like, this doesn't have to be about them being persecuted. Right. (laughs) Right. Like, I have have a lot of love for them knowing that. I have a lot less love for Gene Yang, the guy who wrote the Avatar The Last Airbender comics. Um, You know, sort of, he had bad implications with how he was writing Katara, with how he was writing Azula. Mm -hmm. And I think just because his intentionality isn't up front, too. It's like, I don't know where he's coming from. It just seems like he's really not interested in these women or any woman that isn't Toph. Right. I like Toph, though. Yeah. Well, who doesn't like Toph? But (laughs) (laughs) yeah, but I I think I think you can have things sit in contention. Right. And right. And I mean, that's that's my big takeaway when I try and think about authorial intention is it becomes a part of a conversation that like authorial intention and what I think is depicted in the text and then how I feel about it and like how I think about it and internalize it. Those are all things that I allow to exist and kind of ping off of each other. And I don't have to resolve yeah. in favor of any one of them. Like, I don't have to. And it, it's yeah. not bad if people do. I think that from the conversations the three of us have had, like, we, like, our desire is to, like, encourage people to, to like, let people, to, like, let them sit in contention, maybe, for, I mean, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit longer, or just, like, try and allow, like, those, like, multiple feelings. You can have multiple feelings about the same thing. Like, it's possible to have multiple feelings about like, the same piece of media. Like, I'm disappointed by things in, like, even The Last Jedi. There are things I'm really disappointed by. There are things that I wish they had done yeah. better. There are ways that I think that they, like, missed opportunities or or failed to, you know, depict a, a character as consistently with, like, the external materials that I would have liked them to. And I still really enjoy it. Like, those, both of those things are true of me. And, and also, I think that, like, a part of that conversation internally is, like, and I know they were really trying like it doesn't mean it doesn't I mean, negate the implications do like i also know what they were trying to do like, i'm thinking of like how- i'm thinking of like huckleberry finn which oh god like no like not or like uncle tom's cabin like the intention there was like you know to be progressive in terms of race but you read those now and you're like this is fucking racist it's full of like extremely like like regressive well, stereotypes. That, you have to like, but like, yeah, but like, 
But, like, the fact that, like, it's objectively fucking racist. Like, how much does that erase the good intentions of the author, right? Like... Yeah, I mean, you... So everything is situated little... by, like, cultural context and place in history, too. Right. Yeah. Just what makes something but... like that more complicated than, say, if someone were to write the same book today, I would have very different views on them. Yeah, yeah but, like, but like, you know, we were, like, part of a subculture that is hypersensitive to these kind of things. And I think that's a good thing. I like, I like my subculture, but like not everyone is as hypersensitive. So like, like, like you were saying, like they were sitting in this writer's room, they didn't see these problems. And that doesn't mean the problems don't exist. They're definitely there. But like, where, like, where is that line? Like, what can we tolerate here? Right. Right. Well, yeah. And you know, you know, what's sitting right on that line for me right Mm -hmm. now, actually, and Julia's probably not going to be happy with me for saying this. Honestly, A Song of Ice and Fire is there right now for me. Mm. I'm, like, I've been getting less and less enchanted with it. Uh, I'm re-listening to parts of it. I think there's useful elements to it. There's things I'm obviously engaged with in terms of certain characters, like, 100%. But more and more, I'm like, (laughs) did did all these, like, brides have to be 15? Like, what does this add to the narrative? Like, shit like that, you know? It's just stuff that I think what Martin is trying to do mm-hmm. is good. What he started to try to do in, in 1996. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, no. And that's definitely part of it. Yeah. And, and the themes he's engaging with and the overall message is something I am generally supportive of. Mm-hmm. I think he's trying to be better as the books have gone on. Right. And that, like, that does get you points. Like, in a cosmic sense, I guess. <laughs> but I honestly don't know what to do with this now, because, like, I can't... I can't defend, like, any of this. You don't have in to. Some no. Ways. no. No, and it, it's not my role to, either. It's not, like, it's not my place to for a lot of it. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is that, like, I can kind of think about these aspects of it and have this, like, really upset feeling in my stomach about it, but then also want to read want to see and like, like also, there's a difference like you know especially if we're talking about like you know harriet beecher stowe there's a difference between like literary analysis and like thinking about things as like texts and works of arts and like you know something to be analyzed from like a literary level or and like something to be seen as like a piece of social commentary or as a piece of like you know a contemporary reflection of our society and like you can appreciate something like that does not reflect your values at all. Not even like, not even just like as like a work of art in the abstract, but also as like, you know, something that reflects other people's values as a reflection of like some kind of universal, Mm -hmm. universal search for discovering the human condition, you know? Right. (laughs) Right. And I think like, to me, like to come at this for another angle, like one of the reasons why I want to talk, why I want to talk about intention and, needing to be I think gracious towards uh, creators who have good intentions is because the more I mean because it can scare people away from creating things like young creators who are who care about how people respond who care who want to do really well and they want to do right by people um Mm -hmm. will be can be paralyzed like this is the kind of like the approach that says you hurt me I don't care whether or not you meant it what you created was bad and awful and no one should read it and no one should ever engage with it because 
you know, X, Y, Z are, are terrible. Um, like that means that that author may never create anything again, that that artist may never create anything again. It, it means that, you know, other creators who see that reaction might go, Oh, well, I really want to do really well, but like, what if that happens to me? That could happen to me. Maybe I should just not make anything because it might hurt people. And unfortunately, I mean, as kind of you were getting at, Julia, the kind of people who are tuned into the reality of, of these reactions are people who are typically people who are marginalized in some way or another. Like we are going mm-hmm. to be the ones who are aware of how other marginalized people, whether they belong to our marginalization or not, like we're going to be the ones who are aware of how other marginalized people are reacting to depictions of themselves. And if we're the ones who are being paralyzed into not making something because we don't want to hurt someone who doesn't belong to our marginalization, like what that means is we're going to have less art created by marginalized people. Because I generally think that like most people who are privileged, who are making art, like some of them are really well-intentioned. I think Ryan Johnson is one of them. Um, Like the, the problem is it's the people with good intentions who are going to get paralyzed. Like, it's the people who really want to do well who are going to see this reaction and go, oh, maybe I should not make yeah. anything. Like, someone who's generally racist is not going to be stopped no. from writing racist shit because people call them racist. Like, either people you know? who are actively bigoted or people who don't yeah. care what other people think of what they make, they're going to keep on making their art and not care. Mm-hmm. But it's the people who, who do care and want to help and do good things that are going and to want be, to learn. Yeah, and want to learn. And I mean, it's not the job of marginalized people to teach privileged people. No. But, like... You know? No, but like who Sometimes who, you like, have to make mistakes in order to learn. Right. When you have like this collaborative writer's room, like none of them mm-hmm. noticed. But I'm sure that if someone, you know, outside of the writer room had said, Hey guys, maybe you should pay attention to this, like I'm pretty sure that everyone in that room would have been like, Oh, right. Okay, maybe we should change this. And like that's not like teaching them how to be right. That's just pointing out something they don't have a perspective on. Also, like to the point of it's not your job to teach them like no, it's it's strictly speaking, it's no one's job to teach anyone anything unless they're teachers. Right. Like that's that's <laughs> yeah. how society works. But I think there's a value like there have been very well intentioned men who have like come into my Tumblr inbox or whatever it is, goys too, but it's it's this is usually about um like sexism stuff, that are being offensive in some way or just aren't quite getting it and like you can open up a dialogue and no, it's not my job to teach them. It's not my responsibility to teach them, mm-hmm. but having a dialogue and being willing to like empathize and explain your viewpoint. Well, I think that like, that's how if, you reach people. Like if somebody is genuine and like does like want to learn from those mistakes that they make, I don't think that taking that on is a waste of time for marginalized no. people. No, Like, and you know, if, if they don't have anything else to do that day, I think that would be a good, a nice thing yeah, for them like, to do. Like good news, you never have to do it, but yeah. you know who absolutely never ever says it's not my job to teach you? And I'm dead serious about this. Are like Nazis. They will never say it's not my job to teach <laughs> you about white supremacy. And that's, you know, how they grow. So, like, we need to start, you know what, it's not my job to teach you about feminism, but I'm going to explain to you this viewpoint, because I think it's worthwhile. Right. Or because I can see that you're struggling with this, and I don't want to just be like, well, you're trash, bye. Because, I'm sorry, this is what pushes dialogue to one extreme or the other. Like, it is. It just is. I think we want to, we don't want to turn people off from having empathy for us. Like, at least I don't. Like, I want more people to be able to empathize with me, not fewer 
Like, I want more people to be able to try and understand the way I live and my experience and how I view the world, not fewer people. And, like, yeah, I have yes. my boundaries about, like, I can usually tell when someone's just being a dick. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's very easy to tell. Yeah, I can tell when someone's just being a dick and they don't actually want to listen to my perspective. Like, and and I yeah. tune out. But with people that I know who who genuinely are trying to understand and, you know, they want to be able to mm-hmm. empathize with me, like, I want to take the approach that says like, all right, look, if you want to understand how I live my life and how I view the world, like I'm willing to tell you that because it will help you understand me. You'll be able to have more empathy. And then I can learn from you about how you view the world. And then we're both more empathetic people. And then we can then like use the empathy we've gained to be empathetic to other people. And I, I just think that's a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, we are, we are running so long. So like we, we have to move on from this, but I wanted to say two things. One right off of what Gretchen was saying, the best language I think you can use. And this is from my sister and like her partner who are both therapists and this is how they communicate because it's important and they have different intersections. So that makes it important is to be like, that's your truth. Here's my truth. And like, that's how, that's the language they use for it. And it's like, I'm just speaking my truth right now about this. And that's fine. Like, obviously we know our experiences are subjective, but having that mentality to take that subjectivity into it and like really consciously focus on it and be like, okay, that, that is your perspective. I get it. That it just, it just makes the conversations easier mm-hmm. and it makes them a little less, um, contentious, antagonistic, feeling like they're being right. judged. Oh yeah. Yeah. People feel less like they're being yeah judged. Yeah. The yeah. other thing I will say before we move on is that we are not, by the way, being like, don't complain right. about media if there's problems in it. Like we are not trying not to silence that at all. No. We're, we're just trying to say that, like, you know, is Joss Whedon literal garbage? Maybe, maybe we don't need to have things be black and white. Right. Yeah. Right. Maybe, maybe we can like, say yeah. there are problems, and also here are some good things too about the same thing. Like we, yeah, we're not trying to silence complaint at all. And also, hey, Joss Whedon, I really did not like how you scripted this. Right. But yeah. you're still a person. Right. You know? Right. Like, you will know which people you should not be engaging with, basically. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're pretty obvious. I don't, but, yeah. Let's not extend this discussion by asking, but how do you tell the difference and what about if people don't agree? But let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, just live live your life opening the dialogues that you are comfortable with, but I do think dialogues are worth making having. room for nuance yeah. is good. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on and talk about without nuance. <laughs> messaging. <laughs> There is no way to make everybody happy. Yeah. I feel like Korosami's the way. It is a way. So, lacking in nuance are (laughs) Game of Thrones and the Star Wars prequels. Uh, Yeah, for the past, what, eight, nine podcasts, we've been doing a comparison piece between Game of Thrones, which is critically acclaimed, and the prequel trilogy, which is critically maligned, at least at this Mm -hmm. point. Um, Maybe not when it first came out. But we've been comparing it in terms of character arcs, flashiness, uh, feminism, romances. Strength of characters. Oh, God. And we're going to land on messaging. What do they stand for? What is George Lucas's thesis statement? You know what? I think that these two actually have a lot in common. Because, like... (laughs) 
Game of Thrones has that whole, like, you know, honor gets you killed. And if you try to work within the system and be a good person, you'll just, like, get fucked. And the only people who get ahead in this world are just, like, ruthless, badass people who kill people. And, like, the prequel trilogies has this whole, like, like, you know, Anakin's downfall was that he loved Padme too much. <laughs> you know, like, beware your heart. Yeah. Don't get tricked by old men. <laughs> yeah, like, just... Like this, like this whole thing, just like you know, like it was, it was his weakness because he was falling in, he he had fallen in love with this woman, and like that's what brought him down. It was, he wasn't strong enough to resist that temptation, and that like temptation is like you know, consensual Having, romantic relationship and like starting a family and loving his yeah, mom. and like that really led was, to like he had no, he had no strong emotional bonds with men. Yeah, or if he did, they were not maligned. Like I'm no, sure he, like, he had. Yeah. I'm sure he had. He spends like, the entire second movie screaming about how much he hates Obi Wan. So, right, right, yeah. There is like a, a strong, like toxic masculinity streak in yeah. both of them. That no, like, like, yeah, like, yeah. like loving women specifically. You're right. Is like the source of his weakness and what brings him to the dark side. And that's well, fucked up. And I, I get that George Lucas was like going through a divorce or whatever, but that's fucked up. Right, and I think it, like, the question then becomes, do you think that, like, that's the ultimate message of the PT? That, like, loving women makes you evil? Or, like, is there a a sense in which they're... See, and the thing is, is, like, I don't actually... I'm so invested invested in, like, rereading the prequel trilogy to have it make sense. That I'm not sure if, like, my trying to make sense of it outside of that is actual canon like <laughs> one could take this thread and You're a say too okay like this is an indictment this is an indictment of the jedi order yeah because if the jedi order had been willing to embrace allow to like teach and allow young men to like Im- like handle their emotions in any and there's of women way, in the jedi order too happen <laughs> but like i don't know if that's just me trying to i mean but like the whole like, that's the point because like the kind of like you know the official point of the trilogy is that this is the story of like Anakin Skywalker and how he like fell into darkness and then was redeemed but like that theme is kind of like footage not found like basically (laughs) ever you know like the original trilogy like kind of really isn't about that at all (laughs) you know it's not I'm sorry and it's just like it's, it's more about, like, Luke and his relationship to the concept of Vader being redeemed. It has nothing to do with Vader. He's just, like, you know, this guy. And, like, the prequel trilogy really isn't about that either. Like, I don't know what the prequel trilogy is about. <laughs> like, honestly. But well, it's definitely not specifically about Anakin Skywalker turning to the dark side. But I 100% believe it was supposed to be. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. The the condemnation of the Jedi Order, I don't think Lucas knew that he made a fucking stupid Jedi Order. Like, I, I don't think he knew this. Because, like, the, just, well, like, if you put it in the context of the entire saga, I don't see how he could realize that because it's supposed to be about the Jedi coming back and how, like, how that's a good thing, how that's hopeful, how the Republic coming back is a good thing. Right, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure that he realized that he made the Jedi a bunch of assholes. I mean, unless like, they supposed are to be, like, iconoclastic. Is he smashing his own icons? Like, Right, and I don't think that, honestly, I don't think Lucas is um, nuanced enough as a writer, writer to yeah. make that. <laughs> no, like, 
uh, maybe I'm too taken with red letter media, but I swear they were trying to do like a Citizen Kane esque thing. Like they were trying to write a. Well, character's one thing downfall. that red letter media got, I think, that was really on point was that like the they had that they made that decision, or Lucas did, to focus exclusively on Anakin Skywalker. But yeah. like, he didn't seem to have the discipline to actually tell Anakin Skywalker's story in any meaningful way. No, but but right. all the interviews he is talking about, it's a character, like it's a character study, basically. And he's yeah. just... The entire saga is all about Anakin Skywalker, is what he was saying when he was making the prequels, which just blows he's, my fucking mind. I'm sorry. He's not a character writer, though. No. And like, Vader was not really a character. No, no, like he was like he wasn't supposed to be. That was not his function in the narrative in the original trilogy. Right. Like so, he was only important because of how he affected like the three main characters. So the overall messaging though is like <laughs> like ty- tyranny is bad. I mean, well, if it works. I mean, we were talking about like the uh, we were just talking about author intention, right? Like I yeah. don't know. All I like, know is that it ends up like you know love the gets killed. The takeaways are clear. Yeah, the yeah. takeaways are like don't get a girlfriend. <laughs> like, right. She's a senator. It was clearly a mistake because <laughs> she can't be a senator and have a boyfriend. If uh, you have a girlfriend, at least make sure she doesn't have a job. Jesus Christ! Or make sure right. she's on fucking birth control in this like space age thing where they have like artificial <laughs> limbs, but they can't tell you carrying twins. Why did she just get? Why did she get an abortion? <sighs> I don't think the Naboo believe in abortion, but just she didn't get any prenatal care at all. <laughs> well, I mean, she didn't get an abortion because she couldn't. Like, because the script demanded she couldn't. Well, yeah, obviously I know why she had Luke and Leia. But, <laughs> like, I, th- I think the problem, but I think, I think this is the problem when you're trying to create prequels, though. Is, like, the overall messaging isn't going to, you can't, it's hard to have overall messaging for a prequel series because you're trying to specifically set up something that's already established. So, like, there's not enough space. It's like you were saying earlier with, like, making a Han Solo movie. There's really not a whole lot of space to, like, explore, like, a a full arc. Unless it's, like, a dude like Obi-Wan, who would have been perfect. Right, like, so I think with Vader, like, there, there there were constraints placed on it that I think inhibit, like, the outgrowth of natural overall messaging. Yeah. Because, like, the end has to be tragic, because the end has to be, like, Anakin becomes, like, a war criminal. And I have a question, though. So, like, how do you have a message? Like, how, like your message is, like, this is what, this this is how this dude became a war criminal. Like, <laughs> it that's what they to, said I was trying to say. It didn't have to be about that. He made the choice that it would be about that specifically. That was not something that was, I don't it think that necessary. was inevitable. It wasn't necessary. No, no, yes and no. But, okay, my question is, so... What are D&D trying to tell us? We, I don't think that they're trying to say that everything sucks and you should feel bad. Is that what they're trying oh, to tell? Yeah. No. Um, that's just a result of them yeah. thinking badass stuff is cool. So what, what are they, like, what is the theme is of, Game of, of Game of Thrones according to them? Like, I can tell you the takeaways and Julia and I can tell you the takeaways. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah like, I, 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 I think that if people want to know what we think the takeaways are, they can, like read everything else we've ever written ever. Um, so here's the thing about D&D mm-hmm. and here's the thing about Game of Thrones. And I have given this more consideration than I care to admit. Every single retrospective Joy and I have written, 
we talk about how it's nonsense. We talk about the meaning and takeaway in terms of like we're watching it and basically the message is like girls with pretty clothes are bad or whatever. <laughs> but at the end of all of it, we are always like, why did this story exist? Mm-hmm. There was no arc. Throughout all of season six, you and I could not think of a single reason why these stories existed. Yeah. Every single retrospective ended up saying, this is a waste of time. And it's just a repeat of what happened in season five. I can only come to the conclusion D&D don't have anything to say at all. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they do. I think that, <laughs> I think that they're, I think, I think that they're making, the it, like, I think that they're making yeah. Game of Thrones to be entertaining. I don't think they want yeah. to say anything. I think they just want to make an entertaining But they feel obligated show. to, like, make a Potemkin village of meaning? No. I don't think they actually feel obligated to do even that yeah. much. I think that they're almost entirely motivated by what they think by but entertainment then how do, value. How do you explain the critical response? I don't! <laughs> you because, don't? Because people, can, people confuse... Um, I think people are confusing, like world building and um it's not which that world building. no but yeah. that's, that's the thing they're they're confusing like this is like a really cool setting with um really pretty things in it and people say some things that kind of sound profound with substance like i no i honestly think that that's what it is like th- this is like they're con- they're con- they're conflating their their entertainment like their enjoyment of it with it must be meaningful no, but they're obviously making a conscious effort to make it seem meaningful. They think it's super meaningful. Well, sure. They, like, whip out their... I don't think they think it's meaningful. No, I think I you're think wrong I think they might that. think any one interaction... I think they might think any one conversation might yes. have meaning, okay. but not the story. Not necessarily you, the show. Let me, let me ask both of you guys something. Yes? What was Breaking Bad's message? I don't know. I never watched I never watched it either. Okay, you guys are the worst. I don't. Here's the thing. I don't particularly enjoy watching antiheroes who make drugs. But. Right. Yes. Thank you. Okay, that's the thing about Breaking Bad, which kind of like set the critical bar for TV. Right. You can't really go back and rewatch it. I mean, you can. You're not gonna find more nuance. You're not. What you see is what you get with Breaking Bad. It is the story of an antihero's descent. Yep. And it was a very well done story. There was actually a theme in every episode and every season, like a very conscious theme. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, the message was just what's happening next, what's happening next. Right. And that's what critics look to. So if they can keep guessing what's happening next and something happens and they're like, oh, I didn't see that coming or, oh, that's cool. You know, I think this might be a generational thing. Maybe. Because people used to watch TV episodically we don't do that anymore we expect like we examine it as like a novel not like you know a series of serialized chapters in the newspaper that's how people used to read novels and then like novels started being published all together and that's how yeah i i know but like it's it's i think how do you explain joanna robinson i think there are just two different views of what media should be Mm. or what people want from media there are people who go to media purely for entertainment value and for people like that a show like game of thrones is great because they just want to be entertained they want to be kept guessing they want to see that's not the thing that's not how people treat game of thrones if that's how people treated game of thrones i would have no problem with that but 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 they're entertained by it and it sounds intelligent so they want to feel that they're intelligent for watching it isn't this like psychology 101 where you want to feel smart? I suppose. But like, just, like, 
I, but the thing is, is like, I don't think that most people who watch Game of Thrones, if you ask them this question, what's it about? I don't think they would be able to come up with anything. Politics. <laughs> right. But like, what's yeah. the message? There is no message because Game of Thrones doesn't have one. And a lot of, and a lot of shows yeah, But why don't. do we expect it to? That's what I'm saying. It's a generational thing. Or like, maybe it's not the right term. But... Because why would you tell a story? Right. I think it's just different people want different things from art. Like I've yeah. been, you know, I had this conversation with my mom um, last week where like my mom is the kind of person who just wants entertainment value. Like that's all she wants from art is to be entertained, to like mm-hmm. tune out for a while and watch something that like is interesting, but like she doesn't want a message. Like I watch shows for messages. Like I want the show to, I want shows to say something. I want them to have like something mm, they're yeah. trying to say, you know that I find compelling, but not everyone engages with media that way. Not everyone wants their TV to say something. And I think that can sometimes be like the disconnect between people like us and people who aren't like us because we're like, well, it doesn't say anything. So why would you watch it? And they're like, I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. What it comes down to me is like, I can't imagine putting myself in the mind of a content creator. Who's like, I'm going to make this TV show. It's not about anything. Like, Right. Like Seinfeld? <laughs> yeah, right. Are, are these all Seinfelds? But they're like high fantasy drama Seinfeld? Like what? That's just, <laughs> that's just work. No, but like, I, I think like, yeah, our problem is that we expect things to have rewatch value. Right. right? But like, you know, that is like, like I'm, I'm watching the current season of Star Trek Discovery and I'm really enjoying the ride. There, there has been like a few twists that like have actually kind of like, you know, pleased me. But I don't think it will have rewatch value. And I yeah. don't think ultimately I'll be like, oh, the first season of Star Trek Discovery, wow. Like, and yeah, like, like, I could, I could do like two me. seasons max of that. Basically, yeah. like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I watched two seasons of it. I was like, okay, and then yeah. couldn't do it anymore. That doesn't bug me. No. It's just so, like, I why is it bugging me with, with the prequel trilogies in Game of Thrones? No. And I think, God, to George Lucas's credit, I think he was trying to say something. I think yeah. he just said it ineptly. And I think what he picked to say was weird. Right. And what about D and D? I don't are you giving them any credit? No. I think what bother what bothers me about I know that what bothers me about Game of Thrones is that I think that the source material is trying to say something. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're that's not. True. And so like what frustrates like, me is like they're you No, know, fuck the source material at some point. Like they don't get any credit or discredit for it anymore. Right, but like it's the disregard for that. Like that's what frustrates me is like you're taking something that obviously is trying to say something and just being like, well, I'm going to transform this into something that doesn't like, I'm just going to ignore the fact that it has a point and just make something entertaining. Like they, that's didn't, even what try. they didn't even try to understand what Martin was going for. Honestly. No. And I don't well, think they, they no, particularly I, care. No, I think they did try and they thought it was, Oh, the red wedding really shocked me. Yes. So it they may, it may be that, that like, Oh, I figured out R plus L equals J. I'm super like, clever. It may be that they approached A Song of Ice and Fire and didn't know he was trying to say something. Yeah. Like, it very well may be that, like, I think, in their mind, okay, they're doing what the Okay, you can see my nose being pointed up in the air right now, but I think a lot of people who read A Song of Ice and Fire don't realize he's trying to say something. 
Yeah. I, w- I will never say A Song of Ice and Fire is not trying to say something. I'm very engaged with what it's trying to say. Yeah. I just think there's still but, an think execution. Of, think of right. the, world of, uh, the uh, world of Ice and Fire forums or whatever they're called. Right. Forums of Ice and Fire. Oh, yeah. No, no. How many of those people realize they started to say something? I'm, I'm sour on A Song of Ice and Fire for, like, my own very progressive, like, mm. sentimentalities. I'm right. not sour on A Song of Ice and Fire as an art form. No. Right. Right. But I do think that that, um, that divide between people who read the books and like acknowledge that it's trying to say something and want to engage with it at that level. And the people who are reading it the way D and D are probably reading it. Like, I think the people who, who read it for the entertainment value are the people who were bored by feast dance. Like, Oh, I bet D and D hated we, it. We, you we know, like, like, because we, we sound like such fucking snobs right now. <laughs> Let's just acknowledge that we are fucking elitist snobs. Well, like I don't think, well, I don't, know that I would say that. I would just say that like I'm read I read things differently than other people do. I don't think there's yeah. anything wrong with reading it that way. Like the level at which I might say it's there's a disconnect because if an author is trying to say something and you're reading it not wanting to engage with what they're trying to say, I think that there's going to be a disconnect in what you walk away with versus what they intended. Yeah. But like if you're re- if there is an author who doesn't have anything to say and you're reading them that way, like like at most, I can say is like there's there may be mismatches. There are people yeah, like who people make who art complain that Godot ever shows up and waiting for Godot, you know? Right. Like there are people who make art to say something. There are people who make art who don't want to say anything. There are people who engage with art looking for meaning and a message, and there are people who engage with art who aren't looking for meaning and a message. And if there's a disconnect between those two groups of people, like there's a disconnect there. Like so, who wins? I don't think there's. Messaging? I don't think it's a win or lose. Oh, oh for messaging, <laughs> this is, I think it just depends messaging? on where you Game are. of Thrones or the prequel trilogy. Remember, that's the point of the segment. I would much <laughs> rather is, engage with the prequel it? trilogy. No, and and like honestly, I think like to your snob point, Julia. <sighs> it's I don't feel superior for wanting to go back and rewatch media. I okay. feel weird for that. <laughs> <laughs> but like you said, like Gretchen, you said you rather engage with the prequel trilogies. I'm just like, I'm not just talking about the friends I made along the way, even though like that is profound as well. But the amount that I have learned, like even just about myself, engaging with Game of Thrones, like mm. I wouldn't trade that for anything. Like really. So yeah. that makes sense. Uh, yeah. The real message was the friends we made along the <laughs> way. But actually. No, but actually, yeah. like it's literally how we met. Yeah. So I mean, without no, literally, without Game of Thrones, three of us wouldn't be here. Right without now. Game of Thrones, I would be like the whitest white feminist ever. Like, like oh, I agree with that. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. Though, I'm still so yeah, pretty, I mean, looking at it, I that have way, a long way to true. go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's always a work in progress. But thank mm-hmm. you, D and D. You're the best. Yeah. So with that said, what are you going to do with Star Wars? Nothing isn't better or worse than anything. Nothing is just nothing. Okay, this I'm I'm kind of I'm actually kind of excited to like think about how they might do things. My my <laughs> so my favorite idea is that it's, is that they might do young Palpatine. <laughs> like this is young, literally my favorite pals. thing. Young sexy Palpatine <laughs> that all that hits on all the interns, but he's secretly a nice guy. He's like, like, he has a heart of gold. Yeah. Here's the thing. I think you're forgetting how taken by their actors D&D are. So I think whatever they're writing is going to have to star Maisie Williams or Lena Headey. Or both. As the central. They could be like a, like, like a, like a a mother-daughter 
like smuggler or like like pod racer team. Oh my god. I feel like No, wait, Charles dances palps. Oh. Oh but he's too uh, old though. No, he's too an actual good choice. <laughs> It wouldn't be that young. I guess it wouldn't be that young of a young Palpatine. See, I was thinking more what? like Jude Law. Oh, okay. I-, I can go with that. Dumbledore. Like, a la the young Pope, you know? Like, oh, I should watch vain. that. That and show d- looks fucking weird. You know what? Weird. D&D are, I'm sorry, D&D are going to have a miserable time doing this. Okay. Like, yeah, you've been, you've been trying to reassure me by saying this for like days now, but gonna, yeah, yeah, please explicate your point. They're, okay, they're gonna, so. They're going to have like, too many constraints on what they can do. Yeah, number one, they're going to have constraints. Number two, even though Ryan Johnson like did his due diligence, moved to San Francisco so he could bounce everything off of the Lucas uh, Lucasfilm group, story group, I I don't think like that level of engagement is required, but everything has to be run by them because they are the keepers of all canon. So not only are you going to have D and D have like PG 13 constraints, no boob constraints. They're going to be told like, Carrie Hart has to be approving everything you're doing. And they don't, they don't like anyone approving anything they're doing. They actually do control fakes, but is this something that's only developed? I think like where they control fakes before game of Thrones came along. Like, I don't, George they didn't Lucas, have the latitude. Yeah, George Lucas was not, you know, the kind of director he was when he was making the original trilogy. I can't wait for D&D to direct their final episode. <laughs> anyway, um, the other thing about D&D, and why I think they're going to be miserable, and as we're talking through what a D&D Star Wars could look like, this is part of it. There is canon they can build off of Shore, mm-hmm. but it's not nearly as in-depth and as expansive as I think they think it is. Like yeah. it's what I mean by that is it's it's unstructured, right? Okay. So there's a lot of like new things to explore, it, basically infinite things because it's uh, space. So either they do what J.J. <laughs> Abrams did and just like retell the same story, which is D and D adapts. In my opinion. Oh no, I agree. I I <laughs> not I everyone will agrees. Stand but by. That's my I will stand by Force Awakens. I really will. Mm-hmm. But I think D&D can either do an adaptation of something that exists. I don't think they're going to do a Knights of the Old Republic adaptation. I know that no. people are talking about it. I really don't think they're going to Are people talking it. about that? Apparently. Yeah. Because mm. it's like, what else would they do? Or they're going to pick a character that they think is cool. Like... Boba Fett? Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> D&D do a Boba Fett movie. Oh my gosh. That's like... Charles dances Boba Fett. That's like a concatenation of all of the things that I want the least. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want anyone to make a Boba Fett movie, but right, so they'll pay it, and then they have to like write everything, and they're yeah. fundamentally lazy. I don't know if I can impart this enough. Like they are not creative people. I'm sorry, oh they're not. I mean, but like Boba Fett is basically right now just like a walking suit of cool armor. Yeah, they could, they'd probably just go with that. Like well, he, he, he's like generic action hero dude. Or maybe they'll try what to be this? like super profound, do like young Yoda. He's a clone. Yeah. Young Yoda? Yeah. Oh my god. No, they need to, they are gonna have someone hot as their lead, either male or female, but they they're kind of superficial people. Yeah. 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 I don't know, they'll like do like young Yoda and then like Beanie they'll be ripped. distracted by something. Like you know I just like I like the <laughs> idea of them being given the Ben Kenobi <laughs> movies. Oh my 
<laughs> and they just have it be like poor Ewan McGregor trying to work with these morons. <laughs> like, I mean, Ewan McGregor has experience working with bad dialogue and poor characterization. So. Yeah. Well, and and Lucas is like one of the worst actor directors in existence. Right. Like that's, and think that's of all the think problem. of all the people who have worked with D and D, like Charles Dance, who we keep mentioning, is like a legit actor, and he worked with okay. these people. So. I don't believe there's going to be room for sex position. No, no, no. I think. I mean, I mean, I, I don't think like they were only maybe able it's to just do us that in our lens. Yeah, I, maybe it's just us in our lens. But like, the sex position is the least of it. You know, like that's yes. not really our problem with D and D. I mean, like one of my favorite scenes in the entire series is the bathtub scene in season one, which is like the most blatant sex position ever. But it's also a good scene. You know, that's not the, like the fact that there was like a sex slave and her if boobs everywhere is not the problem. You know, yeah, right? Like, I also don't think there's going to be room for sexual violence. I know that no. that's yeah. a big concern, and rightfully so. Yeah, but I mean, honestly, like the worst sexual violence we're going to see in Star Wars, I'm sure of it, is the implied whatever was going on with Leia and Jabba. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, like, what people... Which was bad. I think what people may not understand is, like, Lucasfilm and Disney, like, they're nothing if not on brand. Like, they Mm -hmm. are not... They're... I mean, their streaming service is no rated R. Like, they want to be considered (laughs) a family-friendly franchise. Like, just because they hired D&D, like, that... Like, that doesn't mean that's changing. What it means is D&D are going to have to work within those constraints. Of, like, yeah, it's like going Rogue to be family-friendly. dark, right? Huh? Rogue One was their idea of dark, right? Right. Yeah. Like, like, and it was it was dark, but it also was, like, the opposite of nihilistic. Right, because it ended on hope. Like, and The yeah. Last Jedi was, like, people talked about that being darker. And, again, it ends on hope. But yeah. I think the problem like, is going to be, like, D&D are going to struggle with the constraints given them, which is, like, Disney's, which is that, like, Lucasfilm is all about hope. Like, Star Wars is about hope. And they're going to have to work with that. <laughs> how would D&D write a hopeful narrative? Oh I can't even think about this. I like, a woman kills somebody, and <laughs> she's empowered, and that's hopeful. Do they? Boba Fett gets a girlfriend. Like... <laughs> Dear audience, I think, like, our problem with D&D is just they're not good writers, no. you know? Like, we've been talking in this episode about, like, how, like, you can have, like, problematic content. I bet they You can be like... a good writer with problematic content, but if you're a bad writer, then, like, zero mercy, you know? They, they also, like, huh, they don't have nuance, but I bet like, a hopeful thing is, like, there's going to be a really bad planet, like, a bad people planet. With homophobes? Maybe they're... Maybe they're homophobes, maybe they're slavers, like whatever. They wouldn't it is. be it's able to be homophobes. Okay, Not so it's a bad because homophobia. No, but they, they would be like, you know, they would be like yeah. very, there, could, there could be an analogy. Veiled homophobes, yeah. Right. They, they, they really they really hate the Mon Calamari. Okay. Right. I mean, who doesn't? And then the super cool hero, Maisie Williams, goes in. <laughs> She's gotta be a rogue. She's gotta be a smuggler. Like she's yeah. a she's, smuggler. She's, force, she's a force sensitive smuggler who built her own lightsaber, but she's not she's not like a Jedi man. No, she's outside. <laughs> she doesn't believe she's in outside. That. <laughs> I just can't be constrained. And she then gets like dropped into this planet of these really bad straw men and just like cuts them all down. And everyone's like, "That's so hopeful." Right, and she she teaches them like she she's got to free the people who are like oppressed or whatever and then teaches the, the the bad guys that like being bad is 
is bad. Wait, Gretchen, does she get to crowd surf on the on the freed? Yes, people? that's the closing shot. The closing shot <laughs> is like her being held up by the people that she like freed from oppression as she like smirks. But there's this one other woman who's like really mean to her. Oh, totally, because she's jealous. Yeah, she's oh jealous of God. how awesome and self reliant Maisie Williams is. Right. So it's it's like the catty woman version of James Cameron's Avatar. That's just what oh we're coming up with. <laughs> I mean, kind of. I could see them doing something like that. Yeah, like like, like that strawman military guy from right. Avatar maybe, is actually like a woman who hates Maisie Williams. Yeah, like, maybe <laughs> it was like Maisie Williams' childhood best friend who, like, when they were younger, they liked to play together, and then Maisie Williams decided that she didn't believe in the establishment anymore, <laughs> and this other friend decided that she did, and she did everything right by societal expectations and enjoyed. And then she died. Right, like, she she enjoys, ooh, maybe she did become a Jedi. Like, maybe uh. the friend did become a Jedi and likes to wear pretty robes. <laughs> Her lightsaber's you know, like, pink. Thing, what really upsets me is that, like, Maisie Williams tearing up an entire planet with lightsabers is actually something I could see them writing. Yeah, yeah. Like they're gonna write, they're gonna, they're gonna be drawn to the lightsabers. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. They're gonna, they're gonna go oh, total prequel. On the maybe lightsabers. they're gonna try to do gap filler with the Knights of Ren. Oh my gosh! And it's just gonna be like the Knights of Ren go rogue. We don't know what happens to them, but they're just like these. They're not quite Jedi, but they're not quite dark side because I guess they ditched Kylo at some point because they're not around. Right? They're clearly not um, still. Well, we haven't so seen just, them like, for reasons. <laughs> They just go planet to planet, like <laughs> being badass, right? And they come, they come, they come across a little Hobbit planet, like where everyone's happy, and like everyone lives in like a nice village. Yeah, and they, they, very happy. they think for a moment that maybe they'll be happy in this Hobbit village, right? And the they help planet. them carry their logs. And then, and then the Empire then comes the first and order, Yeah, the Fourth Order shows up. And yeah. they're like, yeah, see, this is why we don't believe in being Jedi. <laughs> no, no, you know what it is? It's like they're driven out of the First Order by someone who isn't Kylo Ren. Like a Hux kind of figure. And the entire franchise that D&D are building around this, like their series is all about how they get revenge on that guy. He's like this really bad guy and he wasted a bunch of first order resources, basically just trying to hunt them all the time. They're like, well, he's pretty badass. <laughs> and then they, then they kill him. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Or the, the, one of them, the, the most badass of them all kills them. They're all going to yeah. be men also. Right. Just, right. Well, one of them at least has to be a lady because she's driven by revenge. Maybe maybe that guy hurt her somehow. Maybe she's like personally harmed by the first yep. order guy yep. on the ship, and then so she runs away with them and defects. But I don't think that they would even think a knight of Ren could be a woman. Like, yeah, probably not. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're they nice. have that. Yeah, except maybe exactly. one that's like really tall and she presents in a very masculine way. And she could. could just, like, oh my gosh! What if they made Phasma? <laughs> a Phasma movie? I literally just thought of that because <laughs> Gwendolyn Christie. They love her. Oh my gosh, what if they made a Phasma movie? <laughs> and basically just d- made her, like, space Brienne. Oh my god. I could see them doing that, though. <laughs> what about if they made a movie about um, about Mon Mothma, 
about how like Mad Mothma was all like power hungry and evil once, and it's is just she like by, yeah, she played yeah, by Lena Headey. Yeah, and Mad Mothma is like all like ambitious and she wants to take over the the New Republic. I, I just want to see Lena Headey with that like red helmet hair <laughs> <laughs> and that exact same outfit that Mad Mothma has had for thirty years. Yeah, right. For Mad Mothma, it's the Mad Mothma the quest Hold, for the holding clothing. a tin can wine glass of Corellian wine. Uh, my biggest hope for any D&D movie is that Michelle Clapton remains the costume designer, that they just bring her with them. We could get some really Somehow. cool costumes out of that. Yeah, like Star Wars-y costumes. Like, put it in the prequel era? Like, there's yeah. There, sure. like, yeah, there's totally space for that kind of, ha, ha. Um, for that kind of <laughs> costuming there, because you have, I mean, you have like Naboo, which was like, beautiful, intricate costumes. A, rid- a ridiculous place. Because, like, because, like, what would it be is, like, the Knights of Ren are it's just, like, running around on this stupid this revenge, like, revenge story, and M- Michelle Clapton would be popping up in interviews being like, oh, they are now wearing blue threads in their inseams to symbolize <laughs> their struggle with the lightness. And you're like, what the fuck? If you notice, what one of them has a about? pin on their lapel, <laughs> and there's a little bit of white on it, and that's symbolizing that the, like, the inner conflict within this character that they still have white inside of them. Also, this other character underneath his glove has been wearing his sister's ring the entire time. Mm-hmm. Right. What? Because that's what they were, they were driven by love. I just, love. Michelle Clapton's word salads that <laughs> talk about the meaning of the clothes. I need, we need, we need Caroline to write her, uh, her season seven pieces. Oh my gosh. <laughs> It's just, it's too good. It's too freaking good. I I got an ask recently that was like, I swear to God, they're going to put Cersei in Maleficent horns for season <laughs> eight. It's perfect. But yeah, here's here's a challenge, though. Let's say, take take one character that we haven't mentioned yet and craft a very fast pitch for D&D to do a story about them. <laughs> but they have to be an established canon character. Yeah, however marginal. Yes. So, Joy, you go first. Oh. I mean, I think I'm going to get in trouble for it. Like, really in trouble. So I, I hesitate. You're going to talk about Tarkin? Oh, Tarkin. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. It's all about Tarkin and his, like, struggle to, like, rise through the ranks of um, first the, like, the Republic Army and then the Empire. And there's, like, all these obstacles in, in uh, his way because people don't realize what a great guy he is. Is he tough but fair? <sighs> well, you know. Is he played by Charles Dance? <laughs> well, he's definitely played by Charles Dance. And, like, all these people, like, his uh, like his subordinates, he really cares about them. But they're, like, really dumb and they don't do what he says. Mm. And, it's t- and you know, like, his boss doesn't understand his vision even. And poor Tarkin. He's just so, like mysteriously sexy and misunderstood and misunderstood for sure and there was this one like uh was this one officer who's like mentoring and he ended up really disappointing him and it really hurts tarkin because he put like his heart and soul into his this particular subordinate and he like does this thing where he like touches the side of his face and gives him like a pep talk and are you just talking about ollie (laughs) now i was talking about jamie but (laughs) no Sure. <laughs> I just want him to be played by Ollie. It's fun. That's that's a good one though. All right, Gretchen, what's what's your pitch that D and D are gonna write? I'm struggling to come up with something. Um. So. All right, I'm just gonna pick a random character. So Wedge Antilles. 
Um, he's oh perfect. Yeah, he's one of you know he's like Luke's best friend. So wedge and mm-hmm. or or like a friend that he meets at you know as a fighter pilot. So wedge and Tilly's has always struggled with feeling like he is in um Luke Skywalker's shadow. Everyone loves Luke Skywalker, um, and what they don't see is that secretly Luke Skywalker can be kind of an asshole. Um, can be kind of a jerk, especially to Wedge Antilles. So, like, Wedge Antilles is, like, super misunderstood. But, um, and what people don't know about him, like, or maybe this is, this is it instead, that he's just kind of this, like, sweet, nice person, but, like, he has, um, he's really good with a lightsaber, secretly, and it's, like, magical, and all the ladies love to (laughs) see him wield his, his lightsaber. Um... And they like to talk about it. And other, like, other men in the, like, squadron all really admire him because he's so good with a lightsaber. Or maybe a blaster. Oh, my God. Maybe a blaster. Um, This is fucking perfect. Yeah, like, he's so good with a blaster. Like, he really knows how to handle that blaster. And everyone just loves him, but he's, um, he's constantly, like fighting for recognition from everyone and people just assume they really do write mary sue's a lot right yeah everyone just assumes that he's like not as good just because luke skywalker happens to you know be the one who fired that final shot um and it's all about him trying to like gain recognition for just how smart and cool he is and how good he is with the blaster and um he finally he finally earns his place in recognition um and maybe has a maybe has a fling with leia Maybe he has a oh, he definitely has a fling with Leia. Yeah. That's canon. This is perfect. I love <laughs> this is like so fully realized. No, right? He's got. He's so nuanced. He has so much depth. It's complicated. Maybe he drinks and knows things. I don't know. So I'm gonna really upset Gretchen with my pitch. All right, what's yours? Toxically masculine. Cheer at Imway and <laughs> Base Melvis. I'm oh. sorry. They're going to know home with them. They're going to know home with the shit out of it. It's going to be, you know, the story of them being badass. It's going to be Tyrit, uh learning what he can about the Jedi and deciding that the Jedi suck because religion's stupid. Mm. He's going to, you know, learn all about the kyber crystals, learn his force powers, but then just kind of like no homo around the galaxy with these. <laughs> I hate it. How, are they, how will I know that they're not homo, though? Oh, there will be a lot of talk of, they'll be like really body with each other. Mm-hmm. They'll be like, Oh, those women had tits. Ha ha ha. <laughs> like they won't get to they won't get to see them, but they'll oh, you know what? It'll be all innuendo because yep. of the PG thirteen rating. So they'll yeah. be like, I I saw you looking at that fine heart. <laughs> uh yeah, and they'll they'll run into someone fun too from this era. They'll run into Lando. Why not? Yeah. They'll run sure. into Lando. And they'll like have wacky antics on Cloud City for a little bit. You can't see so. the face I'm making, but it is <laughs> very cranky. It's super plausible. That's the thing. Like they would totally know who are these guys because they'd, they'd be into they'd be they'd be into anyone who like is a lightsaber wielder or a force wielder, but isn't a Jedi right. because they think the Jedi is stupid and religion's stupid. Right. Which is why I think they could make prequel movies because <laughs> oh, because yeah. whether or not Lucas intended it that way, that is now the official canon interpretation. Is that Jedi were a bunch of assholes. <laughs> I 100% agree. Or at least the Jedi that were The only around. thing that makes sense. Right. Right. But, like, now that's canon. That, like, the Jedi were around when Anakin became Vader were a bunch of assholes. And I feel like they could, you know, play in that playground. And also, they can't really fuck it up much more than it already has been. Oh, honey, they can. There's always... There's every time Julia and I think we hit rock bottom with mm-hmm. them. 
there is always a way that they shimmy under it. It's, it's like a superpower. Yeah, but like Jar Jar, like there, like the, there's so many awful things about the prequels already. <laughs> you know, in D and D's favor, light speed exists in this universe. Yeah, so. that's true. Ooh, they're, yeah, they're, they don't have to have a magic teleport. And that that Empire Strikes Back timeline. Yeah, <laughs> they can't really do much worse than that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I wouldn't think they could. No, unless it's obviously like someone just like cooking a meal throughout the course of a movie, but then like everyone else has three weeks pass. I don't. Think <laughs> that that would be one hell of a weird movie if it's just someone like meticulously preparing like, a pasta dish, and it just cuts back to them, and they're like, "Now we're gonna add tomatoes." <laughs> it's like the action. I mean, it it'll be more uh, enthralling than Kill the Boy. Oh my god. Oh my god, kill the boy. What an episode. Anyway, guys, let us know your D&D Star Wars pitch in the comments. This is a fun exercise. Struggling, struggling tiger that. mom. Okay, a planet run by a struggling um, soccer Struggling mom. tiger mom. Uh, who who would that... Struggling tiger mom with mom Mothma. Yes. There is a character from the comics they might be able to do that with, actually. That would mean they'd have to read, Gretchen. Apparently they. Su- I mean, on. they supposedly read a song of ice and fire four times. Right. I think they, <laughs> they said that I they like comics have pretty pictures. You don't have to read it. That's much. true. Uh, they're not Donald Trump. You don't have to talk down to them this much. <laughs> they have masters in fine arts. <laughs> but they don't believe Donald in Trump went to a really good school. Well, there were eighth grade book reports. Well, guys, that is our episode. We're gonna have to wrap it up here because we're at like an hour and a half. <laughs> um. But yeah, you know, we have a lot of thoughts on Star Wars and D&D, which we'll try not to talk about either of them, whatever episode we do next, because I know we've been heavy on this for weeks and weeks and weeks. But at the same time, these are also the geeky juggernauts, so it's kind of hard to get away from them. I just got a book called Gay Pride and Prejudice that we could talk about. Oh my god, I want that Literally called Gay Pride and Prejudice. Lesbian Charlotte Lucas. Oh yeah. LesbianCharlotteLucas.com. That is required. I'm reserving the host name for some reason, I don't know why. (laughs) The the thing about Pride and Prejudice is it's just the story of an ENFP falling for an INTJ. Sure. Mm-hmm. I believe. Anyway, yeah, yes, we had it. We had an MBTI episode, guys. You should listen. To it. Anyway, if you enjoyed this podcast, you should recommend us to your friends. I bet they would be very appreciative for mm-hmm. that. Uh, you should also rate us and write a review, especially writing reviews. That's how we get discovered in whatever podcasting app you listen to us in. There's like 15 million for Android. So if you could also tell me which ones I should be using, let me know. Cause I'm confused. Yay. Other than that, the three of us do write for the fundamentals.com. You should check that out. We have a lot of pieces. We will include Gretchen's. Uh, it's not really a honeypot. It's just Gretchen's theory about the D and D hire on the part of Kathleen Kennedy and what that could mean, uh, at least a hopeful version, but I think it's a pretty compelling case. Uh, so yeah, check that out. You know, we'll be having plenty of analysis coming out, uh, as we do. And other than that, we will talk to you next time. So thank you so much for listening. Bye guys. Bye. Hello and welcome to The Fantamentalist, the podcast where we gush... <laughs> Try it again. Fuck! Wrong one. I mean, they come up.
so it's understandable. But the podcast where we gush about nope. Legend of Korra and complain about everything else. <laughs> we gush about other things. Steven Universe, Black Lightning. Uh huh. Gush about that. Oh my god, it was so good this week. Okay, Claudia Gray. <laughs> yes. Always. Hello and welcome to the Fundamentalist. The podcast where we... Oh my god, I almost said gush again. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, you can do it. I believe in you. Okay, I'm looking at the script. I I'm believe in you, script. Kylie. Come on. Third time's a charm. 